Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We have once again made it to Friday on the Three Martini Lunch. So glad you're with us. Your stool is right here, and we're ready to dig into our good, bad, and crazy martinis to wrap up the work week. And Jim, our good martini is that there's more dissension in the ranks on the left. That's how we're going to uh, characterize this good martini. Yesterday, the Senate voted narrowly to um, invoke cloture on a short-term extension of the debt ceiling. This was the uh, offer made by Mitch McConnell to Chuck Schumer. Uh, Remember, of course, he wanted the Democrats to vote all on their own and use reconciliation if they really wanted to raise the debt ceiling because of all the ridiculous spending that they want to do in in their various pieces of legislation. But uh, given where we were, uh, he said, let's do a short-term one, and then it's going to be all up to you, but we'll push it to early December. The Democrats agreed to accept that. Uh, McConnell barely scraped up enough Republicans to break the filibuster. And then instead of uh, offering, you know, a conciliatory tone and maybe we can work together again when this comes up again, no. Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor last night says this. I thank, very much thank, my Democratic colleagues for our showing our unity in solving this Republican manufactured crisis. Despite immense opposition from Leader McConnell and members of his conference, our caucus held together and we pulled our country back from the cliff's edge that Republicans tried to push us over. And if you're watching in that clip, Joe Manchin is sitting right behind Schumer. At one point, he buries his face in his hands. Another time, he seems to mouth to a Republican colleague, this is crazy, and eventually he just gets up and walks out. Uh, Later, he apparently confronted Chuck Schumer about the tone of the speech, and uh, in my best Gene Rayburn impression, I'm going to say uh, that Manchin told Schumer the speech was blanking stupid. Uh, And so... uh, Later on, uh, he said the same thing to the press, although in uh, more family-friendly language. And so, Jim, we've also seen Joe Biden allegedly frustrated that Manchin and Cinema aren't moving from what they want in this bill. And so uh, there's basically gridlock entirely among the Democrats right now, and all of that's good. Listeners to this podcast probably know my longstanding belief that Nancy Pelosi is not the grand, brilliant strategist that a lot of the profile pieces I should say puff profile pieces on her tend to insist. But I also feel like Chuck Schumer doesn't get nearly as much criticism as he doesn't get nearly as much hype, which maybe is some media recognition that he's not a grand strategist. that He's not a brilliant tactician. Um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, Chuck Schumer, if you were trying to engineer somebody in a lab uh, to not be effective in selling a message to say middle America, maybe Chuck Schumer is, you know, uh, the way you do it between the, the voice and the way he lowers his, uh, you know, his, his glasses very low on his nose and kind of the hectoring, lecturing tone. Um, I just don't think he's, he's a great messenger, but even that's not all that, you know, you know, Mitch McConnell is not a guy who gives big rousing speeches or anything like that. But I also think like Mitch McConnell does a better job of staying, having a sense of like where Susan Collins can go and where she can't go and, and kind of how to protect her because of this kind of state she represents than Chuck Schumer does. And certainly it does not seem like Chuck Schumer has much of an interest in protecting or helping out or, or accommodating Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And in fact, uh, uh, Schumer, you know, apparently had knew where jo- uh, Joe Manchin was and where his red line was and where his limits were, his top line number, you know, for, for, week, for months now. 
didn't bother to say anybody and let this narrative of, oh, Joe Manchin won't let it, you know, won't give a number. He's being so vague and obtuse and, and uh, uh, opaque and unreasonable. Well, now you can add to this one. I mean, you know, the, the image of Joe Manchin with his head in his hands as Chuck Schumer talks is just instantly turned into a meme. And it's every time somebody who's supposedly on your side has gone up and really gummed up the work. So I, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat pleased. I can't see this helping uh, making Joe Manchin move. And I think probably like it's not quite as bad as the nut jobs chasing cinema into the, into the bathroom. But I really kind of feel like just, you know, Schumer is just, I guess he just buys into this idea that at some point Joe Manchin's just going to feel enough pressure and say, okay, I'll agree to a lot more spending that my constituents back in West Virginia aren't going to be so happy with. And I just don't think that's the dynamic there. And he's he's kind of cloddish in his reading of the uh, situation. And he really, you know, seems to have, uh, every time there's a problem, pours gasoline onto the fire instead of water. Um, and yet somehow I feel like he doesn't get nearly as much criticism of it. But also, I guess I feel like Chuck Schumer d- gets a little less hype uh, but at moments like this, uh, Greg, we can see there's a good reason nobody hypes the leadership skills of Chuck Schumer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck Schumer is uh, not a good messenger, as you said, and he's uh, apparently not a very good leader either. Uh, just hanging these two out to dry to be pummeled by the left over and over and over again. Uh, Jim, there's uh, a story out of Politico today that uh, the uh, Democrats are perhaps looking to scale back their reconciliation bill, maybe roll back some of their massive tax hikes on the quote unquote rich and of course, uh, they should roll them all the way back. Uh, this is completely unnecessary, and all the programs they want to do would harm this country. Um, but we'll see. It looks like they're perhaps uh, trying to to move closer into Manchin's direction. I personally love the fact that they were miles apart. I'd love to leave it right there. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh, meanwhile, uh, while they are. Uh, Breaking eggs and not really making an omelet uh, among Democrats in the uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, you can certainly do that uh, in your kitchen and make a real omelet like I can uh, with my brand new made-in cookware. I said many times my culinary skills are minimal, but uh, my wife's are quite good, and uh, she has used the made-in pan for a number of different things, including uh, making salmon and uh, other uh, dishes where she uses the pan on the stove and then puts the pan into the oven because of the stainless steel construction and she absolutely loves it and the food turns out great as well so if you're serious about cooking you should invest in your kitchen tools and with maidens professional quality cookware and kitchenware anyone is capable of making restaurant quality food at home made in produces professional quality cookware for those who love to cook they source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup Made-in products are made to last, and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. They have more than 40,000 five-star reviews. You think about that. That's like 200,000 stars. And their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants all around the world. Made-in is better cookware for better meals. That's a lot more five-star reviews than the Jets or the Bears have, but, uh, well, maybe later in the season. Uh, but right now, Maiden is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code MARTINI. That's the best discount available anywhere online for made-in products. Go to madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI. 
All right, Jim, this is technically the second Friday in October. Usually it's the first Friday that uh, we get the job numbers from the month before, but uh, since last week was October 1st, I guess they waited another week, and the expectation was for 500,000 new non-farm jobs. We got 194,000 new non-farm jobs in September, obviously way below expectations. Uh, The unemployment rate actually did drop to 4.8%, which is better than the expected 5.1%. But if you can do the math, it's not because of the job creation. It's because the labor force participation rate uh, plummeted yet again. And so there's fewer people actually looking for work. That's why the number is uh, going down. And so we have seen this a couple other months uh, where the expectations were much higher than the numbers we got. A couple other months where uh, the numbers were pretty good. So I don't know if you want to call it herky-jerky or or what, but um, we're we're not seeing the type of results that we were promised by this administration. And one of the things that uh, we're seeing highlighted today is that wages uh, went up by what over the past couple of decades would seem good, 4.6%, until Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air reminds you that uh, inflation is up well over 5%. So it's not exactly uh, even keeping pace. So uh, what do we make of today's numbers, Jim? There's a lot of bad aspects to it, but I guess the the two that jump out, one are just, it's one thing if you're off a bit from the projections and maybe the, you know, economists who are looking at this are a little excessively optimistic. We talk about this a lot in our podcast going all the way back to the Obama years. But when you miss by like 300,000, that's that's rough. There's really no way, good way of spinning it. I think one of the uh, more commonly cited uh, somewhat left of center economists just tweeted out, oof. Uh, immediately at uh, 8.30 or, or whenever it was that they uh, they announced the, the jobs numbers today. You could, hear the, you could just hear it in the voices and the reaction of CNBC. Maybe they had steeled themselves for a somewhat disappointing number or slightly bad news, but this was way below what they were expecting. And the second thing, Greg, is just the aspect of this being cumulative. That, like it's Now it's been quite a few. I guess it was like Maybe July was pretty good. And unfortunately, if you announce good job numbers on the Friday before 4th of July weekend, people aren't really tuned into them. But like it's, you know, September wasn't great. August wasn't great. There are other points. And this comes as in the aftermath of the pandemic or or when we thought the pandemic was pretty much in our rearview mirror. It wasn't that the uh, U.S. had a massive housing bubble burst or banks are overextended or uh, you know, that there was something fundamentally wrong with the U.S. economy. The problem was people were not going out to go into businesses, not going to restaurants and bars, not shopping, uh, that normal human behavior had been disrupted in the process that it disrupted normal economic behavior. And that once we got people vaccinated, we'd be able to go back to our regular economic behavior and things would be okay. Although there's some interesting questions about whether people kind of got, I don't want to say addicted, but like, you know, their, their habits shifted to things like online shopping and that maybe some of the brick and mortar stores could have, you know, we're not going to come back and people, you know, people, there may have been some lasting changes in people's behavior. Well, this is really different. And the other thing that I think really jumped out at me today is the drop in the workforce participation rate. I want to credit this to Tiana Lowe over at the Washington Examiner. She observed that uh, the women participation in the workforce is still 2% lower than it was in February 20, uh, 2020. And her contention, and it certainly makes a lot of sense to me, is that this is the lingering effect of school closures. The good news is almost all across the country, schools are open five days a week, but in places where you end up having a uh, bad outbreak of COVID-19 cases. And by the way, remember, cases are not hospitalizations. They're not deaths. You know, you, you can be fully vaccinated and still get, uh, uh, still get a case of COVID-19. 
most of the time it's going to be fine. But, you know, there are some people who do end up feeling like they've got the flu, end up having a bad experience. But anyway, um, the closure of schools and the unpredictability of it makes it really tough for women to get back into the workforce. And that's, you know, until you've got a point where uh, schools will not be shutting down without much warning. And, you know, the idea of, okay, everybody goes, like, we don't have the same effect, uh, the same problem for snow days. Um, nobody asked, you know, if you're, you know, if snow, if schools close for snow, they close for a day or two and everything's fine. People go back to work and things are normal. If it's COVID very often, they're closing for like a two week period. And now all of a sudden, you know, you need a way to, you have to stay home, but you don't have to, you have somebody who can take care of your child for a two week stretch. And that makes it much tougher for women to go back into the workplace. So look, the Biden administration keeps saying its policies are going to build prosperity and create jobs and all that kind of stuff. And actually, they've set a record for job openings. People are just not getting into those jobs, um, which does make you start wondering about the you know uh, uh, unemployment benefits and, and things like that. And just generally a sense that Democrats always insist they support growth, but then all of a sudden it always seems to take a really long time to arrive once they're in office. Jim, the reaction to this is fascinating a number of fronts. Like you said, there are some uh, pretty established lefties who are disappointed in this news, as they should be. I mean, data is data. And then there's other folks like Bill Kristol, formerly of the Weekly Standard. Now he's got the bulwark. Uh, he says the unemployment rate's 4.8%. And year-over-year hourly wage growth, 4.6%. Not bad at all. If fewer Americans want to work, so long as they're choosing not to work, perhaps temporarily, rather than suffering from conditions that don't allow them to work, isn't that okay? It's a free country. Jim, some of these Never Trump folks uh, annoy me way more than the lefties because they're so conditional. And the fact that they went from just, you know, opposing Trump to actually embracing the Democratic agenda, basically Bill Crystal's in favor of welfare now. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I wonder if he ever reads through old you know, issues of the Weekly Standard and says, God, what was I thinking? Which side is going to make me more money? That's pretty much how some of these people are right now. But uh, anyway, uh, after you, you see that kind of uh, flip-flopping, maybe you need a nap. And if you want a good nap, you need a my pillow and a lot of the other things that come from my pillow: uh, quality slippers, great towels, and comfortable sheets. There's nothing better than slipping into bed with the soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. And my pillow wants you to sleep better with their Giza Dream Sheets. I rave about these sheets all the time. They're super soft. They're comfortable. They're durable. You know, like I said, we keep them on the bed all the time. We wash them. We put them right back on. And they don't uh, crumple, they don't shred, they, you know, they're just very, very well made. And so for a limited time, buy one and get one free on any set of Giza Dream Sheets when you use our code MARTINI at checkout on MyPillow.com. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, and they're grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The sheets' long staple cotton makes them ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee, as well as a one-year limited warranty. Now, for a limited time, you can buy one, get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click the radio listener's square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Now, don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, let's talk vaccine mandates in our crazy martini, Jim. And this is a two-fisted crazy martini. 
Dr. Leanna Wen, she was temporarily president of uh, Planned Parenthood, but then she said something that was, uh, you know, could moderately be thought of as maybe not entirely pro-choice. And of course, they had to run her out immediately. But she's been on TV a lot over the last number of months, uh, very much uh, promoting not only vaccines, but pretty much making people take vaccines. So she was on CNN a couple of days ago, and she was basically asked if the United States should follow the policies of Canada, where if you're 12 years or older, you should have to be vaccinated to get on a plane or a train. She agrees, and then some. Yes, we should. We really need every tool at our disposal at this point. We've already tried incentives. We tried outreach and education. We should continue doing that. But at this point, vaccine requirements are the way to go. Vaccine requirements in workplaces, as we've seen, have been very effective. And I also think that for domestic travel, for interstate travel, for planes, trains, interstate buses, things that are within the jurisdiction of President Biden and the federal government, I really do think that it's time to put those requirements to. First, it's going to make plane and train travel a lot safer. But also, especially with holidays coming, it will be a powerful incentive for people Mm -hmm. to Say, look, you can stay unvaccinated if you want, but you're not going to be able to travel to see your family. So if you don't get vaccinated, you're not allowed to see your family. That's uh, a sign of a free society there, Jim. But uh, not to be outdone, Joe Biden yesterday was in Illinois talking about the vaccine mandates, among other things. And uh, listen to this math about uh, where he says, uh, you know, you hear a lot about people getting fired because they won't take it now with this mandate. But hey, look at the vaccination rates. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. I've spoken with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, who's here today. United went from 59% of their employees to 99% of their employees in less than two months after implementing the requirement. 99%. So, Jim, it's amazing if you fire people who won't get the vaccine, you know, your vaccination rate looks pretty good. <laughs> um, also, I just, just handed to me, uh, Andrew Cuomo has pointed out that when you eliminate the folks who died, the survival rate in the New York State uh, nursing homes was terrific. As long as you eliminate those folks, it's great. So it's been very revealing. And I talked a little bit about this in today's Morning Jolt about uh, the people who feel the need to moralize disease. It's funny, this sounds like something almost out of the Middle Ages of, you know, you caught that disease because you have sinned against God or something like that. Now, the interesting thing is that there are some people who believe, well, if you got COVID, um, well, it's because you're not vaccinated uh, or you're an anti-vaxxer or you refuse to wear a mask, or you recklessly, you know, didn't avoid people, you got into a crowd. The idea that at some point you must have done something you weren't supposed to do, and that's why you got COVID. And, you know, I, I point to a couple of, usually it's funny, it's NPR doing profiles of these people who believe they did everything the way they were supposed to, and yet they caught COVID-19 anyway. And it may very well be the case. And one of my points is that, like, you, if you catch COVID-19, you are not, like, it wasn't a moral failing on your part. It was not somebody who was out there who was deliberately trying to give it to you. This is a really contagious virus. You don't end up with people, like, we don't judge people when they catch a cold. We don't say, ah, oh, you know, you hear about Bob, I hear he's got the flu. Well, he must have been running around licking doorknobs, you know, (laughs) Um, people get the flu, even though they get the flu vaccine. It's only about 50 to 60 percent effective most years. And that doesn't mean that it's terrible. You'd rather have it than not have it. But, you know, uh, a bunch of people in my family have gotten the flu after getting the flu vaccine. It all depends on what strain and, you know, how prepared is your body to fight it off. And they, you know, they catch the flu. They feel lousy for a couple of days, you know, chicken soup, stay at home and they they come home and they, they do fine. So, you know, the idea 
that there's a moral component to this is really baked into the cake of a lot of people. And it's clearly it's become very clear that Leanna Wen and a whole bunch of other public health experts see people who do not listen to health, public health recommendations as people who need to be punished, people who need to be made an example of, people whose constitutional rights are optional if they do not play ball. And this is a really at odds with America. You, you can be as pro-vaccination as I am. I jokingly say, uh, if I could, you know, walk down the street jabbing people, I would. I tell everybody who I, you know, is doubting. I say, yeah, go talk to your doctor. You don't trust me, but go ahead. Just, yeah, you should probably should get it. Is there a small percentage of people who are allergic to the ingredients? Sure. Talk to your doctor about that. If, you know, uh, if you had a really bad reaction to the first shot, maybe you should get the second shot. You know, again, talk to your doctor. But uh, man, there are people who are just filled with hate towards the unvaccinated right now. And I don't think that's the way we should be thinking in this country, particularly if you want to persuade them. I think if you if you speak to them with contempt and, and uh, disdain, they'll pick that up, and that's just going to dig them in. And the whole idea of the mandates, you notice the, the vaccination rate did not shoot up after Biden's big speech, which, oh, by the way, Greg, was more than a month. Um, you hear anything from uh, from OSHA, Occupational Safety Hazard Administration, yet? No, I haven't. But this, part of me wonders whether uh, he's just waiting to see how many businesses do it anyway. And so since he knows it might be... Uh, wobbly in court, to say the least. Uh, he's just waiting to see how many people do it voluntarily, uh, assuming he's going to do it. And uh, perhaps he won't actually have to do it. Greg, they had to do this fast. <laughs> they had to look where there was no time to go through the usual review process. There was no time to go through the usual public comment. Pro- we couldn't do that. You know, we had to do it as quick as possible. But um, the regulation, the actual rules, eh, we'll get to it someday. Well, here's my latest prediction, Jim. You ready for this one? Remember the, when I said the mask wars? If you enjoyed the mask wars, wait till the vaccine mandate wars. And I think that those have been more intense. Now, of course, we've got Pfizer uh, asking for the emergency youth author- authorization for its vaccine for kids 5 to 11. So if you thought the vaccine mandate wars were fun, wait till we get to the kid vaccine mandate wars. Those are going to be thermonuclear. Yep. Yep. Boy, I, I've got something to look forward to. Well, that's a fun way to end the week. Uh, Jim, have a great holiday weekend. I'll actually see you on Tuesday. See you Tuesday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Do tune in on Monday, though. There will be an edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, In the meantime, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Remember to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, a great Columbus Day, and we'll see you next week on the Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.